Welcome to Community Association Car Chat. The number one nationally recognized community association video podcast. Join your host, David Velasco and Steve Roderick, advisors at JGS Insurance, a Baldwin Risk partner, every Monday as they catapult the multifamily industry forward by providing education and information about a host of topics that affect the community association world today. You can watch the show every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern live on LinkedIn or listen wherever you get your podcast as Dave and Steve give you your weekly dose of laughter and learning from the best in the industry. Let's get into this week's episode with our very special guest. Look at that. Frank McGovern for Monday morning right here on Car Chat. We're glad to have our well-known guest, Steve. Why don't you officially introduce the gentleman on the screen. I've been waiting. We've done a hundred and some odd episodes of this. I don't know why it took us this long to get the consummate professional that he is on the show. So here's a guy that I met before I was even ever involved in this industry. And it was inspirational. Let me tell you that. And so today we have Mr. Fran McGovern and he's the owner of McGovern Legal. Fran, thanks for being on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you guys do over at McGovern Legal? Thanks, David. Thanks, Steve. Really appreciate it. As Steve said, my name is Fran McGovern. I'm an attorney that only practices in the community association field. We have 11 attorneys. It's a boutique law firm. All we do is represent condos, homeowners associations, and co-ops. And we love it. It's never boring, as you know, and it's a lot of fun. So thanks for having me on, Guy. Well, thank you very much for, for joining us. Now, you mentioned that you only do association law, which is, you know, very specific, very niche. Now, in your expert opinion, what are some of the most pricing matters that community associations, whether it's a condo, a co-op, an HOA, are facing in today's environment? So the biggest challenge, I would say, for every association out there is finding and paying for quality management. What's happening right now with the job market being so tight that it's really, really difficult to find, recruit, and train quality management. And Many associations are reluctant to pay. They should be paying for quality management, so they lowball their management agreement or management contract when really, honestly, they save money by paying more for quality management. That is like the soundest piece of advice I've heard <laughs> in a long time. It, you know what? It, it, it really is. And and all the board meetings that, that I've been at in the past couple of months, really, it, it really puts a puts a point on that. Now, do you think that that is specific to something in, in our region here in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, D.C., and New York area? Or do you think that that's something that's going on across the whole country? I think, you know, Steve, I think it's going on across the whole country. Uh, at the national conference out there in Dallas last week, and it seems yep, the consensus yep. across the country is that it's really tough to recruit and find quality managers. So I think it's across the country. So obviously, like you mentioned, the cost of management that associations are trying to save, and sometimes they're trying to save there because they have other issues. One of the issues that we know is costing a lot of money in your association is insurance, but the cost of everything is on the rise. So that leads me to a question regarding contract review. How often do you think an association should review their contract, whether it was with the management company with service providers, and how can that help an association manage the rising cost of, of everything, including insurance? I think the benchmark, if you will, should be an annual review. And I'm not saying going out to bid. I don't think associations should generally go out to bid every year, but they should just review where they are. And again, 
you know, quality management leads to quality insurance. Quality management leads to quality snow removal. Quality management leads to quality management of risk issues such as concrete, flat work, etc. So they're all tied together. And, and when you look at your vendors and have them in on an annual basis, not only can the vendors suggest things like risk management procedures that you can implement to save on insurance, they can also help you across the board and educate you, especially in the insurance world, on evolving products such as cyber threat insurance, crime insurance, etc. So it's always evolving, and I think you should see your vendors probably at least once a year. I want to drill down a little on the legal aspect of things, if we could. Like, so when when we're looking at our vendors, we're looking at our policies and procedures. How how can communities shield themselves against some of the the more common, say, negligence lawsuits, things like that? They're gonna, they're they're going to hurt them down the line if they keep happening. Do you have any advice for community managers or boards on on how to keep that stuff at a dull roar? Oh, sure. Yeah. So there is the immunity statute in New Jersey that you can amend the bylaws to say that your homeowners cannot sue you, hold the association liable for negligence or for bodily injury claims, bodily injury claims only on the association's common property. And, and that immunity would apply to the unit owner and the unit owner's spouse. So they, they can do that. So it doesn't apply to the children. It doesn't apply to the renters, correct? Right. It wouldn't apply to the children, wouldn't apply to the tenants, it wouldn't apply to the FedEx guy or the, you know, the, the food delivery guy, things like that, guests, visitors, etc. You know, but it, w- it would apply to the, the unit owner or the homeowner themselves and the homeowner's spouse, even if the homeowner's spouse is not necessarily on the deed. Okay, so some people that, that are unfamiliar with this, what, what, what's that called? No, but we refer to that as the immunity statute, and it, it immunizes the association against negligence. But, 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 keep this in mind, I don't want to go on too long about this, but in mind, it does not immunize the association against gross negligence or purposeful acts, right? Okay. Uh, and from an insurance perspective, Stephen, Dave, you got to keep in mind some associations have the immunity statute. So what they may do, though, is say, hey, we have the immunity statute, so we're not going to report the claim to the carrier. Ooh. But they have to keep in mind that's a huge mistake. You still have to put the carrier notice immediately of the claim, okay, because you don't want the carrier denying coverage for failure to timely notify. Absolutely. Is that specific to, to New Jersey, the immunity statute, or, or is that something that's available? Is that, is that a federal statute? What is that? You know, Steve, it's a, it's a New Jersey statute. There may be similar statutes in other states. So I used to practice in, in New York and Pennsylvania, but right now, we focus our entire practice on associations across the state of New Jersey, from Sussex County down to Cape May. Okay. And right now, I only deal with the immunity statute in New Jersey, though. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, so doing some research, you see yeah. some states may have some similar statutes, but it's not definitely not available everywhere. So when we have the, the availability of a statute like this, that is truly beneficial for the, the insurability of an association in the long run, what are some of the challenges that association may face when they want to bring their documents up to par with what the statute is in 2023? Right. So the challenge is uh, the, getting the votes necessary to amend your governing documents to include the immunity provision. Very tough. Very tough. Right. So it's not usually a result of opposition. Right. It's usually a result of apathy. Yeah. So it's people yeah. not returning the ballot. People not, you know, just not voting. So it's. That's, that's a real big challenge, and the, the association really needs to use its attorneys 
and its insurance professionals to educate the population on why it's important to vote. One of the challenges, and you stop me whenever you want, one of the challenges besides getting the votes themselves is convincing the people to vote because often, and you guys can confirm this, you won't see an immediate decrease in your insurance premium. You see what I'm saying? So people say, "Why well, I'll vote for this if you can tell me my premium will go down next right. year. Well, right. yep. as you know, that's typically not the case. But what it does, the immunity statute, right, it lifts your loss run going forward into the future. But, but sure. that's really a challenge for the management company, the insurance professionals, and the legal professionals to educate the membership on why it's so important to vote for this. You know, because it, it, it limits the losses going forward, which will also limit your premiums going forward. That, that is very, very well put, sir. Have you ever considered a career in commercial insurance for community associations? Because you're doing a darn good job of explaining it. Yes, yes, I have. It's ironic that you say that. It would, I would love to get off the clock and, 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 and start meeting and, and selling and educating people on insurance because I am an insurance fan. I am an insurance fan and I'm, a, you know, insurance without you know, digressing too much. Insurance is the way that associations spread risk, right? And, sure. and prevent catastrophic financial impact because of catastrophic events, right? So if you're properly insured, in theory, you should, you know, even if there is a catastrophic event, you should at least be preventing catastrophic financial failure. <laughs> Fred, you're hired. You are so hired right now. <laughs> if we can get off the immunity statute for a second and talk about the actual, the governing docs of an association, because this, this is a big deal. Some people kind of just, they just assume that they're there and that they're right. Now I, I read all of the docs that I, that I get from an association periodically to make sure that things are in line. But, but as far as like a full legal review, something that the, the, the association may have to pay a few dollars for, but how often should they go actually dive in with their attorney and review their governing docs? Do you have any advice on that? Yeah, so, you know, it's it's surprisingly it's surprisingly rare, and I would say the vast majority of associations do not do that. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Because some boards will come in and say, we want to, you know, totally revise soup to nuts, and there's two things. Number one, it, it costs a chunk of money. Number two, no law firm is going to give you a guarantee that your documents are 100% bulletproof, right? Okay. They're not going to say that. But when we see, we'll say, large-scale amendments take place is changes in the law, right? So changes right. in the law. So as, as the law evolves, you want to keep your documents up to date. And then also pain points, right? So if you have an association that is trying to enforce rules and regulations and they find they don't have the the power to fine, for example. They say, listen, you know, let's deal with that. You know, so you can do bullet point amendments, one topic amendments, and then you can also do wholesale amendments. The vast majority of amendments we see and reviews we see are bulleted amendments to address pain points. I really like that, like the bullet point amendments. But what do you find is the most common inadequacy in the governing documents that we're, you run into? The usual inadequacy is not keeping up with amendments to the law, right? So people will say, well, our governing documents say blah, 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 blah. And if your governing documents say a certain thing, but the law has changed, the law will apply regardless generally of what your governing documents say. So for example, for those of you who practice in New Jersey, the Radburn Act went into place in 2017 and the Radburn regulations went into effect in 2020. 
Many associations governing documents were not amended to reflect that. And even though they have old governing documents, many people don't realize that the Radburn law will take precedence over your governing documents. So there's confusion and people will say, well, but, 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 but the governing documents say this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, and you have to go and explain if you're management or insurance or legal that no, 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 the Radburn law takes precedence over that. And really you should go back and revisit and amend your governing documents to reflect Radburn. Exactly. Because when you look at the pyramid of responsibility or, or, or as far as like the hierarchy of documents, you have, you know, state law is definitely above your, your local governing documents. So that's, that's, that's a right. good point. And, but and, I never thought of that, that, that angle, right. updating it to the current law. Fran, thank you for all for that and that explanation. And Radburn law can get a little bit tricky. And a lot, a lot of people have never even heard of it, you know, that, that aren't involved in their community. And then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, 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 what is, what is going on here? So it's, it's, it's really good information. Now, on this show, we like to give our guests an opportunity to recognize somebody that has been influential in their life and or their career. So, Fran, I want to turn the mic over to you so you can you can give out some recognition, a shout-out, if you will. Well, thanks, guys. I, I tell you who I appreciate a lot recently, and I, obviously there are innumerable people who have really, really helped me in my career, and I would spend all day talking about them. But I would say, you know, the people, the people, the person I've seen who has really stepped up tremendously in the past several years has been Angela Cavanaugh, who's the executive director of CAI New Jersey, the Community Association Institute. And she has done, I think, a fantastic job of leading that, leading Community Association Institute in New Jersey. And I want to strongly, strongly encourage everyone, both the associations and the managers, to take CAI education courses and for the boards to support your managers in taking CAI management training courses and I really encourage associations to pay their managers for the time that they're spending there and to give them time off for education and professional development because Community Association Institute really helps build quality management. And like I said at the top of the show, that is the key to running your association. Absolutely. And on these few words of wisdom, we will end up this episode of Community Association Car Chat. Friend, we thank you so much for taking the time on this morning morning to jump in with us. Thanks, David. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Community Association Car Chat Podcast. The number one nationally recognized community association video podcast. Go ahead and hit subscribe to get the latest podcast delivered straight to your phone or tablet each week. And remember, you can watch us live on LinkedIn every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Community Association Car Chat LinkedIn page.